Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Make and Decorate with Stephanie podcast. And I am popping in midsummer with a replay episode and um, a new little uh, chit chat intro. I am replaying my conversation with Heidi Parks. And summertime is sort of a time where you slow down and uh, try to relax, enjoy the good weather, the summer weather, and enjoy summer activities. So I thought it would be nice to listen to Heidi talk about uh, hand sewing, which is what her specialty is. And hand sewing is just kind of like a slower form of sewing and sort of slows you down uh, and is relaxing for a lot of people. I know that I really enjoy hand sewing uh, in addition to sewing machine sewing. So uh, this was published back in 2019. I'm so excited because I just finished recording a podcast recording episode with a guest for upcoming season five. And I am about to record a few more episodes upcoming in August and September. So it's getting close to that time again. And I look forward to beginning season five. Uh, It is going to begin on Thursday, September 22nd. So make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss out on anything. And also remember, we've got that Mighty Networks group, Make and Decorate Friends. Uh, People have been posting their makes um, this summer, and I've posted um, a few things. And one of them is (laughs) I started to make a sock. (laughs) Yes, I actually am knitting this sock on double pointed needles. I know, crazy, because if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know my struggle with the double pointed needles. And I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't get them to stop twisting and tangling and and so forth. So um, I learned that I was, um, well, I was using a very small size double pointed needle. It was like a size two and the yarn was fingering. So apparently that's not really a good size of needle or yarn to start learning double pointed needles. So I got a size six and uh, the sock yarn is, um, I think it's called Regia. It's uh, by Arne and Carlos. And it is like a DK worsted weight. Um, And what a difference. I couldn't believe it. I was able to cast on the needles and um, close the uh, circle and join, join the circle 
and start knitting my tube for the sock. I am doing a beginner pattern by, um, it's called Knitting Pure and Simple, and it's on Ravelry, just in case you want to take a look at that. Uh, it is knitted from the top down, and uh, I did have some struggles with it. Um, I restarted this probably, oh, about at least 10 times because not due to the struggle with the DPNs this time, <laughs> go figure, but uh, I flipped the knitwork to the inside or the opposite side and didn't realize it. It was when you put your knitting project down and then you come back to it and you pick it up and it's all, you pick it up in a different way and uh, I didn't check that the knitting was in the same direction as it was before. So by the time I realized I had at least five or more garter stitches rows and it is supposed to be in a stockinette. So I definitely reversed the side and I um, was going to just take out the stitches of those rows um, to the point where um, the stockinette was at, but it just got crazy and out of control. And um, so I just decided, oh, it, I was just trying to correct, like finding these loops and pulling up like lost, dropped stitches and stuff. And finally, I'm just like, look, you just got to start this over. And it'll be good practice because I only cast it on the DPNs the one time and it worked the first time. Lucky, right? <laughs> and so it took me a while to to get it cast on again and started correctly. Uh, but I have conquered that and I am down. I actually made it to the heel turn and made this what they call a heel flap. And now I'm on the circular two part of the instep, I think is what it's called. So I'm almost to the end of the first sock. I just have to finish the instep, which is the length of your foot, um, and then end it with the rounded toe part. So um, yeah, definitely new ground for me. And I've learned some new things like um, uh, I didn't know what pickup stitches meant. <laughs> and um, I've learned. So instead of assuming that I know, like pickup stitches sounds so easy, doesn't it sound like you're just going to pick up from the row that you're on. But no, that's not what it means. Pick up stitches means you're turning the direction and you're knitting the yarn or pulling it through um, the last stitches of the knitwork going down the sock. It's very hard to describe on in audio, but those of you who knit know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and those of you who don't knit, I'll stop talking about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's uh, what I'm currently working on as far as knitting goes. Um, I've got a whole lot of other things going on. And I have my brother's wedding coming up and I just looked at their registry and it says 66 more days. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I have yet to start their quilt 
and of course my outfit for the wedding. However, I did make the quote muslin outfit or half of it. Um, I did make that waddle curve skirt. It turned out fairly nice. And I made a cashmere cedar dolman knit top to go with that one. But that's top is not what I'm going to make for the wedding. This was just more casual top to wear with the skirt. Uh, and I wore it to my sister's 40th birthday. Um, and I have to tell you that Kaufman lawn fabric is really nice. Lawn fabric is just, especially in the summer, so flowy. And when it has been so hot, it it's just very comfortable to wear in the summer. Uh, so um, yeah, that went pretty okay. Uh, the dolman top was a bit more of a challenge because I just haven't sewn for myself in a while on things other than simple um, elastic case waistbands on pajama pants, uh, that sort of thing. So this is more like actual garment sewing where you're sewing facings and understitchings and um, stay, you know, stabilizing stuff. And it's just um, very much more in, involved. Uh, so I kind of had to, to get back into the swing of that with the dolman, cedar dolman top. In my interior design world, it has been very difficult this year. Uh, be, and it's difficult for everyone as far as being a consumer goes. Uh, things are just taking so long. When, I, I mean, we have chairs that we ordered, upholstered chairs, back in May, and um, finally just got an update on those, that they won't be ready to ship until February of next year. Yeah, it's been a struggle. And, you know, now, last year, it was starting to get that way. And a Upholstery and area rugs that are made to order uh, are understandable that they would take months to make, but now it's everything and at just much more extended time frames. So things are taking like eight months to a year, which sounds crazy, but that's what it is. It is taking that long. So it's been really kind of a big headache uh, trying to get these orders um, placed and uh, staying on top of things. Some companies we had, you know, dealt with some company that had lots of turnover going on. So you really have to stay up on top of things and don't assume that uh, the order is going ahead until you get these confirmations in writing. Uh, so it's been a challenge. It really has um, with the, the interior design. And it just made me think that, um, you know, we're getting closer to the school year starting and then uh, the end of your holiday season. So if you are at all thinking about uh, buying new furniture, 
of course you're not going to buy, you know, like custom made from, you know, super luxe high end um, vendors, but even the retail shops uh, will have products that will take a long time. Some of them still do have more like these quick ship items and quick ships are okay as long as you're okay with their limited selection of fabrics or materials. The reason why they can be quick ship is that they make the product in a limited number of colors, uh, finishes, and offer maybe two or three fabrics to choose from. And then some places may have where you order quick ship or they will have an extended library of fabrics where you can choose uh, a different fabric and then that will take longer uh, for it to come in. So just little tips uh, for you guys to just start thinking about it. And honestly, uh, if you were at all ordering things that are custom, um, they're really not going to come in until next year. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just how things are going right now. But we as makers have a leg up on this because we are able to make things, DIY it, and uh, the other thing is to keep in mind are we're in the prime season of estate sales and yard sales, uh, stuff like that. And honestly, I've always talked about this, that furniture that was made prior to um, the turn of the century is much better quality than the furniture you're going to get now without paying tens of thousands of dollars for it. And you can find some real gems at estate sales at great prices. Uh, and upholstery, just don't let that turn you off because you can just find an upholsterer and have it reupholstered and you're not waiting eight to 10 months for a new sofa to come in or a new chair. I would not attempt reupholstering a big piece like a sofa uh, on your own, or even a, a big upholstered chair. Dining chairs, of course, are definitely geared towards DIYers and are much easier to reupholster. And when you reupholster those, you'll definitely want to replace the foam um, and add a little bit more Dacron to the seat pad. Other pieces of furniture, of course, are the tables, end tables, dining tables, and those are easy to find at estate sales as well. And this is where your creativity can really kick in if you like doing this sort of thing. Um, you know, you can paint the legs of a table and keep the wood top if the wood top is in good shape or vice versa. Keep the wood legs and paint the top of the table or just paint the whole thing um, and have fun with it. Um, so those are the types, the types of furniture that, um, people tend to want to get for the, um, Thanksgiving and, um, holiday season are like dining, uh, tables, 
and chairs, and then maybe some um, refreshing of family room furniture if they're going to be entertaining. Um, And then also sometimes they also like to um, either freshen up a guest bedroom or create a guest bedroom, uh, create a multi-use room where it might be as used as a home office slash guest bedroom. And then maybe you kind of put a piece of furniture in there that converts to a bed. Uh, So those are just some things I wanted to share with you um, on the decorating side. Uh, Yeah. And there you go. Gardening. Oh, The garden has definitely just exploded. I have these petunias that I planted from seed back in February, late February, actually. And they were so wafy and teeny tiny when I first planted them. I was not sure if they were even going to make it. And now they have grown so much. These are the most giant petunia plants I have ever seen in my life. They have trailed over the planter and grown so huge and beautiful, gorgeous. Um, And I took some pictures of those. So um, I'll try to get that posted on the podcast page. Uh, and then the lettuce box with the herbs, the basil, the chamomile also have done really well, except that um, I think it was towards the end of June, early July, uh, we got aphids on the lettuce leaves and the spinach leaves, arugula, all of that. So there was like the landing of the aphids. Oh my gosh, it was crazy. And when I first noticed them, it was like the the real like little baby ones. They were still green and um and un- they stick themselves on the underside of the lettuce leaves. Oh my gosh, I was completely distraught. I was just like cuz here I am, city girl again, <laughs> afraid of the bugs. <laughs> Uh, and I just was like, what? I can't even believe this. How are we going to get rid of these? And um, we did sprinkle some uh, diatomaceous earth on there. But of course, that goes away with rain and you have to keep reapplying it. But it's it's in a box right outside our back door. So that's not like a really big deal to do. And it does kind of work, uh, but it just grosses me out. Oh my gosh, I just, it really like kind of like burst my bubble because we were doing so well and these freshly grown leafy greens taste so fresh and yummy and even better than the best organic lettuce boxes in the grocery store. I'm just like, why? Why the aphids? Why the bugs? Um, But my husband ordered these live ladybugs uh, from where else? Amazon. And they came in a box with like holes in them and and they were in this like mesh bag. Um, And I mean, he dealt with this all on his own because I'm just like, oh my gosh, more bugs. But ladybugs, of course, are the good bugs. And apparently they eat like the aphids and stuff and the bad bugs. So... um, he ordered them and I guess you're supposed to, you're not supposed to release the whole bag all at the same time. So he had to like release a, a tablespoon or two at a time throughout the week. 
uh, and you put them, the bag, in the refrigerator to slow them down. It kind of like, you know, puts them to sleep or something. I don't know. doesn't kill them. Um, and, and then when you're ready to release them, you take them out and scoop out what you need and release them. Uh, and apparently they can live in the refrigerator for up to two weeks. Crazy. I know. <laughs> uh, so hopefully that is doing, um, you know, helping the garden in some ways. So that's the garden update. And uh, that's about it. So I, this is just kind of like a midsummer drop in. And I'm replaying my uh, conversation with Heidi Parks. So uh, that's it. I look forward to uh, season five coming up in September. Take care, everyone. And happy making and decorating. Okay, so it's time now to continue our series on the different types of quilting. Today's guest is Heidi Parks. Heidi is actually from uh, the Chicago area, like me, and she is a... A trained fine artist. She went to the Art Institute of Chicago and um, her art now is quilting. She she does um, a lot of uh, mixed media and fiber arts with her quilting and she has become very proficient and expert at hand quilting and hand mending. Uh, so I am just really pleased to present this to you. Uh, here is Heidi Parks. Welcome, Heidi, to the podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And today's topic on my quilting series is all about hand quilting, which is what you do. Yes, it is. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to learn about this because I haven't really done um, too much of it. So I, I'm really excited to learn today. But before we dive into that, I just want to kind of get your story out there, kind of where your background, like, I think you're from my area, like the Chicago area. Is that where that you're is from? Home for me. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was born in the city of Chicago in the hospital and lived in Oak Park till I was five years old. And oh. Then I moved to Naperville, and that's where I did all of my growing up from the western suburbs of Chicago. And then I went to college in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and then got a job as a high school art teacher. And I did that for nine years in Naperville because that's where it was home and was really comfy. And I was actually able to live uh, back at home with my mother for a while and pay her rent instead of a landlord that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, and then eventually when I decided to leave teaching to pursue quilting, I moved to Chicago for a year and lived downtown again. And then I've been in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for the last four years. And that's actually where my mother was born and where she's from. So it oh. felt in many ways like going back home to the motherland. <laughs> back to the origins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, you know, the whole, you know, for the listeners where we're at, Chicago and the Wisconsin border are within an hour of each other. Milwaukee is just like, I don't know, 
not that far. It's an hour and a half away from Chicago. Right. It's very, very close. So, I mean, I've been up there many times and I know all of what you're talking about. You, so I, I'm in the town right next to Oak Park in Berwyn. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And just this past weekend, I was visiting Oak Park. I'm a member of the Chicago Modern Quilt Guild Uh and they meet in Oak Park. And so it's just such a fun thing to be able to. Oh, you went to that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I was man. at that meeting this past weekend. I and... went to that workshop on the day before. We did. Yes. Well, with well, Liz Elliott. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw Liz Elliott give her lecture. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so funny. We could have done this in person. I know, right? Oh, man. <laughs> <Maybe next time. laughs> you know what? I... <laughs> you'll just get into quilting and then you'll be at all the, you know, deeper into quilting. You'll be at all the meetings. Yeah. yeah. You know, I joined the, the Chicago Guild last year, but then I didn't show up for like more than three meetings mm-hmm. and I felt bad. And then, um, but I was talking to them and they're just like, it's fine. Just come when you can. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, cause I, I like the socialization and seeing everyone. So I think I, I will join again, you know, in the new year. So what's nice is it's not that much more expensive than just being an at-large member of the Modern mm-hmm. Quilt Guild, yeah. which I, of course, want to do because I attend QuiltCon and I submit my quilts to that. And I'm now I'm a teacher at QuiltCon. And so I, I care a lot about the guild. And for a while, I was hesitant. Oh, is Chicago too far away? Can I count as a <laughs> guild member, even though I live in Wisconsin now? And they were so open and welcoming. Yeah. And it's such a great crew of people. And it really helps me feel rooted still in, 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 you know, quote home mm-hmm. to have good excuses like that to come back. Oh yeah. To- that's great. Yeah. It's a great group. I really loved it. And, and they yeah. were, you know, I, I'm an individual guild member now, but I found out there was an opening and I'm like, could I come? <laughs> they're like, yes, yeah. you're in. <laughs> I was oh, so excited. That's yeah. so I was actually, I got to have a wonderful conversation with Libs about hand quilting. She's starting to do some hand quilting. It's oh, been good. Frame and rock her needle and all of that. And I was saying, oh, well, I quilt different from that, but it's still hand quilting. Cool. And, yeah. yeah. And you know, that's why I wanted to have you on. And I, I didn't want to exclude hand quilting from all the different types of quilting because um, people are doing it more and more often. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and what I've seen also is that, um, even if they're not hand quilting the entire thing, they will embellish and hand quilt sections of the quilt mm-hmm. or highlight things. And I just love that because it yeah. really gives some dimension and just um, a unique, you know, personality to the quilt. I agree. Yeah. Good, good. So to, to answer your question yeah. more properly, when I was born, my grandmother organized a collaborative quilt and my family and my mom's friends contributed to the quilt. Everyone made a block. And then my grandma finished it as a tie quilt, which is another kind of Mm -hmm. cool type of hand quilting. And so that is the way that I entered the world was very much with a quilt and being surrounded by women who knew how to do all kinds of fiber art and needlepoint and applique and trapunto and embroidery and all the, the variety of techniques that are in this quilt. And my mom would always sew um, Halloween costumes for me and made a lot of my clothes growing up. 
but my mother was not a quilter. And so it took a while for me to decide that I wanted to make a quilt. And my mom was very active as an artist. And my grandmother also was an artist. She had a degree in art that she got in, in midlife and got me very interested in ceramics and in painting. And so in, in this very creative family that I grew up in, my mom and my grandmother were very interested in art and textiles and being able to sew and just thinking that that was as important to learn as reading and driving, you know, of course you know how to sew. Mm -hmm. And my father was an amazing woodworker and very handy around the house. And so it was just this energy of let's do things by hand. Let's make things. And, and that was such an important culture in my family. And then I went to art school, as I mentioned, because I wanted to be a teacher. I was a theater kid in high school, and I loved being on stage and telling a story in an exciting way and sort of having that permission to have the spotlight, because I was oftentimes otherwise relatively shy. And then when I had the permission of the spotlight, whether through teaching or through acting, it, it was a very exciting moment. So... When I was in art school, I initially thought how amazing it was to have access to a really big kiln mm. and all the different toys and things. And so I thought, what else can I take as a class that will get me using cool technology? And I thought of metalworking because of the blowtorch and everything. And, and, and so that is when the moment when I made my very first quilt ever was in my metalworking class in college. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's my end to the quilt world, which I think is not a very standard. <laughs> but our assignment was make something that is as important on the inside as it is on the outside. And for me, that quilt from my family, the outside told a story and was interesting and beautiful and exciting. But the inside was the part that touched my body and gave me warmth and was the useful part of it. Mm -hmm. So that equality of importance inside and outside for me was what drew me to the quilt. And so I used metal squares and also used squares of photos and books and textiles. And I sewed them together with wire and it was murder on my fingers. I don't know what I was thinking. And then I made it soft on the inside <laughs> and it just lining it with a piece of fabric. And so that was my initial way into textiles. And that's what got me thinking that I had this huge background, this personal interest in textiles. And I had been working with clay by pressing lace and fibers and fabric into the clay and buttons. And everything I was doing was just on the edge of textiles. And so then I finally started incorporating textiles into my drawing classes and then ultimately taking fiber art classes when I was in college. And, and there in my quilting class, it was a class about sampling and the idea of making a sampler and also how does a DJ sample things and combine them. And so I made quilts out of books and paper and other non-traditional materials in that class, but all very handwork focused. I was mm -hmm. making them by hand. I was not using big machinery to do any of this stuff. And 
Then a lot of time passed while I was teaching and more focused on embroidery and that aspect of textiles. And then my in 2013, when I moved out of my mom's home and into my own apartment and was doing my own thing, I had a quilt top from my grandmother that she had found at a estate sale. And my mom, as she was culling my grandma's things and trying to whittle her down to her smaller apartment, she grabbed that quilt top and said, Heidi, you should finish this and make it into a quilt to have in your home. I bet it would be really lovely. It's beautiful. And so that was the first quilt that I ever hand quilted that was made with fabric. And it is the greatest love story of my life because... Mm. It was September 2013, and by the end of that month, I finished hand quilting the whole thing and was so in love with it. By the end of that school year, September is so perfectly the beginning of the school year, so by the end of that year is when I left teaching to pursue quilting full-time, and it was this incredible year of hand quilting and watching and rewatching the documentary series, Why Quilts Matter, and going on Pinterest and Instagram and anything I could get my hands on to find out, can a person be a professional quilter? Is there a quilt world? How can I do more of this? Sewing with fabric. And, and what did you find on that? Because that is a question that a, a lot of us have that are, are trying to make a living in the, the quilt world. And mm. it's amazing that you went from a September, if I heard this right. Yeah. September, yeah. you started hand quilting that quilt top that your grandmother gave you. Yeah. Finished it in a month. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that school term... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Not even a year later, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you pursued a career in quilting. I did. Wow. And so, you know, part of it that's important is it was my first fabric quilt. But back in around 2002 or 2003 is when I made that quilt out of metal. Mm-hmm. So a solid decade before. I, and yeah. I was very skilled in with using a needle. I had a lot of dexterity, a lot Mm -hmm. of skill with a needle. I simply hadn't applied it to quilting previously. Right. But I, I, some of the things that drew me to it was I had also been doing a lot of painting and I was feeling as though embroidery was so small. You put 20 hours into something and it's five by seven inches. (laughs) How can you you (laughs) charge a reasonable amount for that thing, even Mm -hmm. though it took so much space? So I loved that quilts could be big. I loved that they were easier to transport and store in contrast to painting. I loved that the materials were, by contrast, they felt like they were free. Because each canvas is so expensive to buy. And I had plenty of fabric laying around from my family, from my neighbors. And the needle and thread were so easy to access. I already owned a sewing machine. The consumable part of, of what you need to make a quilt were so much less. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also it was so clean and easy. I would, I was leaving my mom's home where I had electricity set up to have a kiln. I had a whole huge basement where I could be painting. And suddenly in this new space, I needed to be much more clean and I could make a quilt in that space. Whereas I really couldn't figure out how to paint or do ceramics or other things right. in that space. Right. 
And in terms of finding that courage to be a professional artist, a big part of it went back to when I was in high school and college, I worked as an assistant to a ceramic artist. And she had also gone to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And I loved that as a job that I sometimes did. But in experiencing what it meant to be a ceramic artist, things were so fragile, they could break in a second, you could chip something and all the work that you'd put into it completely gone. Mm -hmm. And she had to drive a huge van in order to transport everything. It was a lot of heavy lifting. It was a lot of hours in the basement where you could have that kind of dust for clay. You can't work with pottery in your living room. (laughs) And it, it was eye opening enough that I understood that people could be artists But it was also an experience that let me know I didn't love ceramics enough to do the work that it took Mm -hmm. to have that be my job. And when I made a quilt, I thought, I love everything about this. It is worth the struggle and the difficulty. And certainly part of how I was able to do it is that I had been living pretty affordably with my mother and saving money for that, you know, one day, who knows what I'll want to do. And so I had a significant amount of money saved up and I had paid off my student loans because I was living economically. And this felt like something I wanted that was worth spending that money instead of continuing to squirrel it away. And I also was from having been a student at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, I don't know of any other college that does this. They have free ongoing support to all alumni forever. And so I was able to attend special free workshops that they had every other Saturday at the school. And each week, the theme was how to document your art with photography how to do an elevator pitch, how to write your resume, how to do your website, how to have an online social media presence. All the time, just for free, I could access. And then also they had one-on-one appointments that I could schedule at any time for an hour to meet with one of their about 10 different expert people. So I could look through their resume, see what they were expert in, and meet with them for an hour to get personal advice on how to build and change my career as an artist. Wow. And it was just, it's amazing. (laughs) And I have never heard of anyone else having access to anything remotely like that. And so even though I graduated school in 2005, when we barely had the internet, when things were so different, I was able to go back and the very first workshop of that kind that I attended was on a social media presence. And at the time I had 250 followers on Instagram. It was a small collection of my Facebook friends, basically. And they completely transformed the way that I was thinking about how I was interacting with that social media. And within a year, I had a thousand followers on Instagram I'm super excited. I just recently hit 10,000 followers and that feels like a really big That's huge. That is so Uh, huge. It's so exciting. And it's because they changed the way that I was thinking about what I was doing. Hmm. And they also, one of the really powerful things that they did when I went in and met with them was 
I, I was starting to find people who inspired me. And so I went in and I showed them the website of Folk Fibers, Mara Grace Ambrose, and Luke Haynes, mm-hmm. and Pauline Boyd of Counterpain. And these three quilters were doing things that I thought were incredible. And I thought, if they can do some part of this, maybe I can do it too. And how were they doing it? And the expert that I went with, he said, first of all, let's look at what their splash pages and what their websites look like. Some of these people want to be in your home. They are making functional objects. Um, On the other hand, some of these artists, because of the way they're doing their website, they want to be in a gallery. They are exhibiting fine art. Like if you didn't read the small little word that says quilt, you might think it was a painting based on the way that their website is structured. And you've got to do some soul searching and think, where do you want to be? What is your identity? What is your goal as a quilter? And then when we looked past that, we looked at the small print of their website. So where was the tiny link with their CV? And how long have they been at it? Have they been quilting for a decade for two years? And where did they get those first early breaks that helped them make their mark? And was it in a gallery? Was it in a textile shop? Was it through an interaction that they had with anthropology that was more of a mainstream designing connection? And those baby steps that they did early on in their career can help guide the early on choices that I make. Mm. And, And then also just kind of getting over some fears around approaching people. That was an exciting year where I was reaching out to some of those artists and saying, hey, I really love what you do. And can I collaborate with you? Can I have coffee with you sometime? Can we have a phone call online or meet over Skype? And, and a lot of what I'm describing there is stuff that I did in that first year when I moved to Chicago. Mm -hmm. But the year when I was deciding what to do, it was really just about I've finally found something I love. And also, I think a lot of us know that the job of being a teacher is changing dramatically in America. Mm -hmm. And I was driving between two different high schools and it just, Mm -hmm. I felt like a frog in boiling water. I used to walk out of my job and think, I cannot believe that they pay me to do this. This is magic. Kids and art, nothing could be better. And it was slowly changing to the point that I was so frazzled and stressed with having four different budgets that I was buying things from and new acronyms each year and being told to teach classes that were supposedly the same as one another, but they really weren't the same as one another at all um, with with the same amount of time and what felt like twice the work. And so they were making it feel very easy to leave. And then also my duplex that I was living in, after 10 months of living there, the landlords decided they didn't want to be landlords anymore. And so I just realized, either way, I have to move. (laughs) And it was just, it's such a nightmare. I did not want to move again. But Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, clearly the universe is saying that what I have been doing, it's going to be hard to stay. It's not going to be easy to stay. 
And here's this new way forward where I can move to Chicago, have a roommate, cut my living expenses, have lots of opportunities through my college and, and, and can carve a new path that way. And so I made during that year, I made a collaborative quilt for my friend who was having a baby. And then I made a quilt that was a Christmas gift for my dad. And then I made a quilt that I thought was going to be a baby gift. And then I realized the person I was making it for, we weren't close enough for me to give her a gift. That took them. <laughs> right, <laughs> so I kept... right. <laughs> um, and I, I finished a quilt that my grandmother had had in progress for about 30 years. And we gave that as a gift to my brother for his wedding. Oh. And then I thought, if I want this to be maybe possibly more fine art rather than functional craft, let, what would I make for that? And so I started to make a quilt that was a 36 block quilt about wanderlust and changing directions and moving and looking at the world differently. And that quilt went on in 2016 to win first place at in handwork at the modern quilt guilds quilt con. Yes. So it was a quilt that I called places unfold. And, um, and I was using a lot of embroidery in that quilt. And so all of the technical things that I had been doing in other corners of my creative life, mm -hmm. it was the first time I thought, let me apply those skills to a quilt and have some of the artistic creative thinking that I have been bringing to painting. What if I put that into a quilt? And as I was starting to see that quilt form, it was great because with the 36 blocks, I could bring, make a plan and then bring a block. And when I was doing supervision in the cafeteria as a teacher or <laughs> proctoring exams, I could have that handwork with me and it was small and easy to do. And then it, it came together to become a larger quilt. And as I was seeing myself make that quilt, it was just feeling more and more right that mm. this is something I can do. I can really express myself in the medium of quilts. Mm. I'm not going to feel limited or pigeonholed into you know, only the craft world and not the art world. My background with ceramics was so similar. Ceramics also has that deep history of being craft rather than fine art. Mm -hmm. And, and so I had that experience of, of seeing how certain mediums can straddle both worlds. And I was starting to see how a quilt could be in the fine art world just as easily as it could be in the craft world. And and then I just jumped, you know, I, I had been seeing a, a therapist during the time as I, cause I was going through some other transitions and she helped me work through a lot of the fears that I had around finding the courage to be an artist and letting go of a salary mm -hmm. and having my own health insurance. And luckily Obamacare was on the scene by then. And I realized that I could have my own health care that would be true health care and not just catastrophic in case something terrible happens care. Mm -hmm. And, and then I, I jumped for it and I, I felt so supported in that leap by, by the art school that I was in and by the connections that I had in the creative world. And, and by the way that Instagram was just kind of new and getting started. And I was, you know, for the first time I could just send a DM, a direct message <laughs> to Luke and like, he would answer me back. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I'm sure a couple of years before that, that just wouldn't have been 
at all possible in my head that that would happen. Mm -hmm. And that's still a true thing. People direct message me all the time and I always get the message and I always reply. And what an amazing world we're living in right now that we have access to reaching out to our creative heroes and they'll write us back and give us advice. Yeah. Yeah, that is just a wonderful thank you so much for for telling your story and about your journey and just all of the um, roadblocks that you encountered. And also the way that you utilized um, resources out there that um, you had to make an effort to do that. And a lot um, of people, me included, are introverts, and it's hard for us to do that. But mm. to have that resource from your college, the Art yeah. Institute, have that forever, I mean, mm-hmm. and that's invaluable. That is yeah. just invaluable additional continuing education training. Yeah. Uh, so... I mean, I and, can, you know, it's interesting because one of their struggles is that people don't take advantage of right. it. Right. That's what I'm so getting these at. Weekly, <laughs> these biweekly meetings I was going to, they were lucky if they got 10 or 15 people to show up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's only six people. And granted, there are different moments in a career when you need that kind of help. I feel as though, you know, right now, because I did that, I don't really need that support currently I'm not taking advantage of it as fully anymore because well you did I, it already. I, I, already, I, I know <laughs> I mean I already had probably 20 one-on-one meetings with them like how much right. more can I do but but it is really shocking to them that more people don't take advantage and they're always trying to brainstorm you know and then mm. they came back to ask me and said Heidi how did we reach you how did we get <laughs> you to take advantage of this opportunity how can we reach other former students and alumni and get them in the door and and so it's interesting that it does go both the both ways and i think a mm. lot of people you know, obviously there aren't that many people who went to the Art Institute, but there are lots of opportunities if you pause and look around yourself. Now that I live here in Milwaukee, I'm aware of lots of other kinds of opportunities that I'm eligible for. Mm -hmm. And it just takes a little extra digging on the internet to, to find that support because there, there, you know, there's so many different ways to get support like Mm -hmm. that. It's just that, you know, the Art Institute was my way and was to me the most obvious way in the first place to start. That's amazing. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it will never happen for me because my um, interior design school, Harrington, um, closed down last year. That was downtown Chicago. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, that's so sad. That so sad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now they're gone. But, yeah. Oh, man. You know, at the Art Institute, they have free lectures that are open to the public and that they have on a pretty regular basis where you can come in and, and see an artist talk about their work. Oh, I, and, I'm going to get on their mail list then. Oh, they're, they're so good. I mean, mm-hmm. I, even, and they had a bit of a lottery cause it was so famous, but I saw Jeff Koons speak live in person Whoa. in the more in the textile arena. I saw Sonia Clark speak and she does so many amazing things with hair and with, deconstructing the confederate flag uh, you know picking like unweaving yeah. is part of her art form and she is 
amazing. And I got to see her talk. And when I moved to Milwaukee, that was a really big early priority for me was how do, where can I see free art lectures? And so I went to the local art college that they have here and I I found out that they don't really do that. (laughs) And and so then I dug a little deeper and the state school, uh, it's called UWM, you know, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, their Peck School of the Arts has a a weekly lecture that they don't meet quite. It's not open to the public quite every week, but probably twice a month I can go and hear a lecture. And again, there's always tons of space in the auditorium. It's <laughs> half full at the most. And and it's so inspiring to be around that energy and then the crowd of people who shows up there and, you know, you go early and you sit in the front and then mingle a little bit and you get to talk with other people who are also excited and striving and on this path of learning and taking advantage of the free resources in their community. And, and so then they'll tell me about something else that's happening. And did you know this art gallery has a free thing? Or mm-hmm. did you know that someone else is doing something? And, um, you know, please come to my opening for my art exhibition. And then let's mm-hmm. do studio visits together. And being in communities like that, mm-hmm. it really does spiral with opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And you are getting out there in real IRL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with meeting actual people. Went. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So that's the other plus about that too. Mm-hmm. So th- this is wonderful. This is, uh, and people should check into their local, um, you know, college and art institutes yeah. and so forth. I mean, I'm so lucky to be here where I'm like eight miles from the art institute. So oh, I should get, you know, get get into that. <laughs> Two, an interesting conversation within the craft and creative community is around unpacking the art world, that it can be intimidating or mysterious and and just kind of trying to know the difference of when is a quilt a quilt? When is a quilt a craft? When is a quilt art? Do I, as a quilter, also need to own the title artist? Maybe, maybe not. And I think there's so many times when people make quilts to express love and to have something in their home that they made instead of that was made in China and purchased at Target or Walmart. And just doing that is so beautiful and so interesting. And you don't have to wear that I'm an artist hat in order to own I'm a quilter who makes beautiful things from my own home. Right. But if you are interested in that, in wearing that heart hat of artist and you want other people to see your quilts and you want to participate in the art world and you didn't go to art school, like most quilters, I would say, didn't go to art school. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you then begin to access that world that seems intimidating? Mm-hmm. And I think that there are a lot of really powerful things that you can do to gain access. And part of that is watching de- documentaries like Why Quilts Matter and also watching things like PBS Art 21. And you just start to see how do artists talk about their art? And craft in America. 
Oh, I love Craft Me in America. Too. When I finally met <laughs> Therese Agnew in person, <laughs> I just, I almost died. I like could yeah. have just swallowed her up oh. with joy. Um, yeah. And so when you, when you watch things like that, you learn how artists talk about quilts and how artists talk about their work. And then you can go to free resources like lectures, especially a lecture is so nice because everyone comes in and they sit down and you don't have to feel socially awkward about what do I do now? Mm -hmm. How do I, <laughs> and maybe you don't even talk to someone the first three times you sure. go, you just observe and you feel yourself slowly becoming part of that community. Right. And then you attend an art gallery opening and, you know, again, maybe you don't have any pressure on yourself to talk to anyone at first, but you just show up and you just look and it's, it's, it's one of those really safe social settings where you look completely normal. If you walk in and you don't say anything and you drink a little wine, mm -hmm. eat a bite of cheese, <laughs> and look at the art and then you go home. And then once you feel comfortable doing that, maybe you say hi to say someone, maybe you introduce yourself to the artist, mm -hmm. maybe, you, you know, give someone the little elbow or comment like, I don't get this one. <laughs> Do you get it? Right, right. <laughs> Or, wow, that's so beautiful. How did they do that? Do you know? I can't tell. <laughs> and and it's just, it's those baby steps that mm -hmm. give us access. And I yeah. think it's really important that if if we as quilters want to be part of the art world, we need to show up in and participate in the mm -hmm. art world. And that is yeah. step number one. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not a step that anyone has to take, but it's a really easy step if you want to take it. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's great. You are just a wealth of, of information and resources about this. This is wonderful. So then now let's get into more of the hand quilting part. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, 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 one of my questions was like, you know, why do you have such a passion for it? But I think you've already gone there. <laughs> <laughs> I can I know why you have a passion for this art now and w with your family history and your community and just um you know you said experiencing other types of art and then this one really you know grabbed you so it feels so yeah. good to make a quilt mm -hmm. you know it's a nice way to spend my time mm -hmm. and I love that it has a history that's connected to women I feel mm -hmm. as though every time I have a personal win in my own microcosm as an artist supporting myself, mm -hmm. it is also a macrocosm win for women getting recognition and for our traditional art forms mm -hmm. being supported and valued. And it makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And I, I really love that about it and mm -hmm. about building. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's mostly it's selfish. It just feels yeah. really nice. <laughs> I know it does. And, and also, I think, you know, same as, same as some people are great at catching a ball or they're great at learning a foreign language. Mm -hmm. I think I just have some natural inherent skill where needle arts make sense to me. Mm -hmm. The same way mm -hmm. for someone else, they look at a car and, and, and it just makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. They understand how to fix it. They understand how to do an oil change. I, I get textiles and, yes. and it's fun for me because of that. Right. right. And what's also nice about it is that you are very giving with your knowledge 
and you teach it. So yeah. I think that's wonderful because uh, I I just I'm always learning. I will always learn forever. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is another form of quilting that um, I want to learn and get into. And yeah. and you do teach workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you teach? So I've got a workshop coming up through the Modern Quilt Guild at QuiltCon. And that one is on visible hand piecing. And for me, it's an extension of why I love hand quilting. I, I never even thought about machine quilting. It didn't occur to me, but I was initially machine piecing my quilts and sewing that initial patchwork together, mostly, excuse me, with a sewing machine. Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize that I was having a lot more fun with the handwork part instead of the sewing machine part. I didn't like how straight I had to sit. It hurt my back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like listening to the sound of the sewing machine because I couldn't as easily have a podcast or an audio book or a TV show on in the background. (laughs) So I thought, how can I get rid of this and have it be worth doing? Because I had the misconception that if I was to start hand piecing my quilts, they would look the same as something that was machine pieced? And how could I justify spending all that extra time for something that wouldn't show up in my art? Mm -hmm. And what I was able to learn is that there are a lot of ways that hand piecing can be visible. One of the really powerful experiences that I had is I went to Seoul in South Korea in 2015 and visited my favorite roommate from college. And she had been begging me to come visit her for a decade. And I thought, now I can get, you know, two birds with one stone. I can (laughs) learn about Korean patchwork and I can see my friend Young Oak. And in that tradition, they use a whip stitch. And it's not like the whip stitch that we use with English paper piecing or grandma's flower garden doing hexagons. In, that, in those Western traditions, there's a lot of cheating the needle to the back, using thin thread, invisible, matching colored thread. Mm-hmm. And the Korean patchwork tradition, you use a bright colored silk and it transforms the act of making a patchwork from being an exploration in shape to being an exploration that also includes line because suddenly then you can see very vividly the line that is the space where those two shapes meet Mm -hmm. and where they're being connected and learning those techniques and then slowly digesting them. It took me about nine months from going to Korea before I was able to make my first quilt where I incorporated that into the piecing. But now I also use a lot of running stitch for applique things. And I'll use applique techniques when I'm piecing things that Mm -hmm. are bigger than an applique setting. And because of that, you can see the handwork. And I think then that is where it becomes beautiful enough that it's worth doing. Right. And also certain seams and things we avoid a lot in machine piecing because it's hard. Even something simple like a curve, 
but also an L seam or a Y seam. Mm -hmm. It's so easy when it's this applique hand piecing approach. It's so hard when you're trying to shove it through a sewing (laughs) machine and you hope it'll lay flat at the end. So there, there are both disadvantages and advantages to Mm -hmm. the hand piecing that I am really excited about. So that is a six hour class that I'll be teaching at QuiltCon. That's going to go live. Oh, I don't know when people can sign up for that, but it's a, it's a hot second that the classes are available and then they sell out. Oh, is that going to be in uh, Austin next year? Yes, exactly. That'll be with QuiltCon in Austin next year. And, and so that's a really exciting extension of, of handwork. If you like hand quilting, you might also like visible hand piecing, and that's mm. something that I'm really excited about teaching. Oh, fantastic. And, yeah. And then I have um, a variety of other classes that I teach that are on mm-hmm. hand handwork. Last year at QuiltCon, I did a lecture on hand quilting, and I had a lot of details about that. Mm-hmm. And another handwork-based passion of mine is mending. Yes. And I'll be teaching a class soon with the Makery out in Boulder, Colorado. The class will be at the end of October. And our our sign-up is going to go live um, probably in early June, I, I think. Cool, <laughs> and, yeah. And so for that, I'm teaching about mending. And that, again, is something that I just love how it looks when it's done by hand. I think that our society is can really get behind the idea that time is money. Mm-hmm. We understand that, that time is the most valuable thing that we have. And sewing is such a unique, amazing art in that a sewing machine cannot replicate what a hand stitching with a needle can replicate. They don't look the same. Mm -hmm. You have a dotted line by hand and you have a straight line by machine. And so when someone looks at a garment that's been mended by hand and they see that dotted line, even if they don't sew themselves, they still generally have the wherewithal to know that that looks different from the clothes that they buy Mm -hmm. that are made by a sewing machine. Mm -hmm. And, and so then you see it and you think, Oh, that's stitched by hand. Time is money. That must be beautiful. That, that, you know, that it's as though it's been repaired with gold or something that that you want to look at that is then a focal point or a centerpiece in the in the in the garment rather than a mistake or an apology or something that you're trying to hide i think so many times something we need to avoid when we're mending is that feeling of embarrassment as mm. though your bra strap is hanging out or your underwear is showing and the things that you can see, but you think maybe I'm not supposed to be able to see that. That's where it becomes, I think, a little bit embarrassing. And if you can make amend and have it appear purposeful, then people see it and they realize, okay, I'm allowed to see this and I'm allowed to recognize that it's beautiful and interesting. And so the class that I'm teaching is going to be a three day retreat where people bring a great big stack of clothing and we plow through everything, every kind of mend, every type of woven or knit fabric, 
I wear a lot of leggings, partly because my one of my jobs is that I'm a yoga instructor. And it's hard to find a comfortable pair of leggings. I know they appear comfortable on the outside, <laughs> but there's the scourge of the saggy crotch where I'm always pulling them up. Yes. And things that are you know, too tight or, or they don't fit right or the waistband is in the wrong place. And so when I find a good pair of leggings, those are really special to me. And mm-hmm. I've developed a lot of mending techniques to help keep, keep them alive, the mm-hmm. pairs that I really love. And, and so all of that kind of stuff is going to be covered in the workshop and it'll all be done by hand. And I'll say too, something really exciting for me is there are lots of quilting classes that exist within the quilt world, like what you took through the quilt guild, Mm -hmm. that's how they're hosted. And I feel as though I'm one of a few special people who get to teach quilting within the maker movement and within other spaces, because in order to hand quilt or hand piece or mend by hand, you don't have to own a sewing machine. You don't have to own a rotary cutter and a mat that you just need a needle and thread and a thimble. And I don't even quilt with a a hoop. I just like to use a heavy book on the edge of a table and I use that to create tension and it doesn't take much. And so then it's low stress for people to say, well, I'll just dabble in quilting. I'll try it Mm -hmm. one. And then maybe if I really like it, I'll invest in a sewing machine and things later on. But I think to date, there have been some things that for people who didn't grow up in a home like I did with a sewing machine, it's hard for them to dip their toe in the quilt world. Mm -hmm. It's so intimidating and it's so expensive and there's all this stuff you have to understand. And when it's a handwork quilting class, it suddenly becomes accessible again and a novice and a beginner and someone who's not already into quilting can take a class and feel super successful. That's true. Definitely. It eliminates a lot of the ancillary (laughs) multiple Mm -hmm. tangents that are out there in the world of quilting. (laughs) Yeah. So much of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But you were talking about um, tools like your don't use a hoop because I I, that's kind of what I know. I wanted to know um, because, you know, you do. I do see, you know, people um, quilting in hoops and um, or frames and I'm just not sure, you know, what what is appropriate for when. But it sounds like really if whatever you what whatever you you know need is what you need <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever's comfortable for you is what you need <laughs> yeah yeah whatever's comfortable for you but i would extend the caveat of what's comfortable and healthy for your body right because there are a lot of things that people initially do when they start quilting that are not healthy for their hands And you want to be cautious of that. The top thing that I see is people think it's awkward to use a thimble. They feel a bit like all thumbs, Mm -hmm. kind of the same way that we as children felt about using a pencil instead of a big, thick crayon. You have to then learn how to hold the pencil in a way that's healthy for your hand. Mm -hmm. And the thimble can feel awkward at first but it has a very important job. 
And so if you're not using a thimble, what you're doing is you're squeezing this very tiny, thin needle between your fingers. And with that pressure where you're squeezing on the sides of it, you're trying to push it through something. And you might feel okay doing that for a few hours at a time or even for a couple months. But at a certain point, the calluses that that builds up on your hand are going to be problematic. And having that kind of pressure of finger against finger and metal, that can cause damage to your nerves and your your hand. Mm. The logic behind using a thimble is that that would be either on your middle finger or your ring finger. Both are good. That completely just depends on what's comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. But and and there are also interesting thimbles that actually rest on the palm of your hand. If you look into sashiko quilting or sashiko embroidery mm-hmm. from Japan, there's a tradition of having it. So there are many different kinds and shapes and thimbles and many ways to use them. Oh, I think but, I have that one. It's, mm-hmm, it fits it's on like your, a, it's almost like a, a ring, thing. but mm-hmm. it's got it right here. Okay. Yeah. 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 The ring that rests mm-hmm. under joint yes. on your finger. Yeah. And all thimbles are good. All thimbles do the same thing. They give you something to push against so that the fingers that are holding the thimble just need to lightly grip it and keep it in place. Mm-hmm. The pushing, that intense pressure that it takes to bring the needle through the fabric, that comes from the thimble. And so that is a very important thing that you do want to train yourself to do because you don't want to have damage in your hand. You also, with your thimble, you want to be careful that it's not too tight. Mm. I personally really like the thimbles that are softer. Mm. So I love the Clover Protect and Grip thimble. It's a soft silicone around my finger, and it's just hard metal at the tip. Oh, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. There are also a lot of great thimbles out there that are made from leather. I personally haven't found one that I love that works with my shaped fingers. I have very long, skinny fingers, just like my dad's side of the family. So, <laughs> you know, everything is is tailored. If you've got fingers that you were told you should play the piano as a kid, then what I do might be the right choice for you, but <laughs> different kind of finger. I have no idea what shape thimble will be your preference, but I right. do know that it's worth buying a few different mm-hmm. thimbles, playing with them and seeing what's right. But I certainly, I love the idea of using a leather thimble because it's a, a natural renewable resource and it is soft rather than hard mm-hmm. against your yeah, and so, I have a leather one too. That that one doesn't work for you. The I, I, it might be made by Clover, but it's kind of like a whiter gray leather, and it kind of has a little bit of. Oh gathering. yeah, no, I don't like that one. <gasps> no, yeah, no, do oh. not like that one. It's too big and clunky for me. It is a little boxy at, at the fingertip, mm-hmm. and I also I like to push from the tip of my finger uh-huh. rather than the pad of my finger oh, and that gotcha. symbol I believe is meant for pushing from the pad of your finger yes that's um, what I've done similar to the nimble is a black <laughs> one and it has a little piece of metal Im- embedded in it and again that that's a a pad pushing rather than a tip gotcha. situation oh, okay and then there's another nice one that's a thicker leather where it's one flat 
kind of U-shaped piece of leather. And then the other piece of leather, just like a shoe is sort of curved around to match that. It looks a lot like a shoe, like a claw (laughs) to your finger. And and that one, I don't like the rough ridges where the seam, (laughs) but I like that it's thick enough leather that you don't have to have the metal embedded anywhere. You're just pushing. Mm -hmm. So anyways, there's a lot of intricate details in the (laughs) symbol world and just please use one. I have no opinion beyond that. Just please use the symbol. Right. Right. And so then for me, with some other material choices Mm -hmm. that are important to me in Western quilting that uses thin thread, that's where the quilting hoop and frame has a lot of popularity and tradition. And in that instance, it's a super short needle to go with your super thin thread And that is all about rocking your needle back and forth. And that's how you catch your stitches. And then you pull through and you only do a couple stitches per pull of the needle. What I find with what I'm working in is I like to use thick thread again, because I want people to see that I did it by hand. That for me is a real guiding principle in my work. I want my handwork to be visible. Yes. And so then if I'm looking, for example, at sashiko embroidery from Japan, that's very precise art and that's an embroidery technique. But there are things to be learned about using thick thread in particular that they rock the fabric and apply it to the needle and the needle is resting in their palm and then they they have lots of stitches per pull. Okay. Simpler, yeah, the needle is long too. Yeah, it's very it's long. It's mm-hmm. a very different needle. Mm-hmm. Also in India, they have Kantha quilting. And that tradition is done with a larger needle. And the quilt is sometimes just laying on the floor and they're passing by it. Hmm. And it's a stitch that's meant for speed. So they do lots of stitches quickly rather than carefully doing a few stitches. And the the cantha stitch is beautiful because the back of the quilt, it's just this tiny little nick. The stitch, maybe a millimeter or a sixteenth of an inch long. Mm, And then the front of the stitch is perhaps even a solid quarter of an inch. So they're rocking their needle they're moving the needle very quickly through Mm -hmm. and a lot of the thread is actually buried in the quilt itself because they're sewing at such a diagonal Mm -hmm. rather than bringing their needle perpendicular to the quilt. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's a really interesting art form. I'm, I, I, I would love to know more about it. I have, I'm going to India in September and really hoping that the same way that when I went to Korea and I really learned about that tradition, I'm hoping I can really learn more about how a needle is held properly in all of those details in, in Kantha quilting. But I think something important there is that again, they're not using a hoop at all. And And so then when I went to begin using thicker thread for my quilting, I thought I'm making things that look more like these other traditions and that don't bear any resemblance to a tiny thread perforation mark Mm -hmm. quilt. And 
So, but I did need some tension. I felt like I could really use a third arm. And so that's where for me, I lay my quilt on a table and then I place a heavy book. I, I used my scale and measured my book is about five pounds. And it's a book that my dad gave me about women artists. So oh. I like that that is my largest book that I own. <laughs> and I put that on top of my table. And then I work in the space that's off the edge of the table. Okay. So I'm not working right in front of the book on top of the table. I'm working off the ledge of the table and I can pull tight on that and create some tension with my left hand. Mm -hmm. And then with my right hand, I can hold my needle relatively still. And with my left index and thumb, I'm able to rock the fabric because I don't want that ratio that's in a cantha quilt. What I want is a stitch that's exactly the same on the front and the back. Mm -hmm. I just personally find that satisfying. And that is the only reason why I do that. <laughs> and, and I also like the freedom that depending on how complicated the direction of my quilting is, I can quilt from the front or I can flip it over and I can quilt from the back. Mm. And in both instances, my stitches look the same. Right. And right. for me, that has some real advantages for the way that I like to work and the, the different patterns and improvisational lines that I like to do with my hand quilting. So, so it's, it's much more though rocking the fabric rather than rocking the needle. Mm -hmm. And if I were confined by a hoop, the fabric would be too taut right, and I right. wouldn't be able to rock the fabric. Okay. What I also do that I like is I stack a lot of stitches on my needle. I use a milliner's needle. I like the Dritz brand. They have a multi-pack, and I like to use the three smallest of the four needles from that pack. And I love that it is sharp, that it is long, that it is resistant to being bent, although I certainly have bent a couple of them from <laughs> when I'm working. <laughs> and and then the, the thing that I appreciate about it the most is that it is the eye of the needle is the same thickness as the length of the needle. Embroidery needles are tempting to use with thick thread, mm -hmm. but I found that that makes pulling the needle through the fabric that much harder. It's really a lot of pressure on my fingers, on my elbow, on my shoulder. And so by using, it's slightly more challenging to thread but once you get the hang of it, you thread it once, you pull it through so many times. Mm -hmm. And and I would rather have that pulling moment be less effort, mm -hmm. less, less taxing on me. And so with my milliner's needle, I'll stack probably two to four inches worth of stitching on my needle. It's all bunched up on there. And then I'll pull. So I'm getting about three inches of quilting every time I pull my needle through. And that is really helpful for mm -hmm. me. I feel like I'm being economical with my time in that way. Mm -hmm. And I like to use a rubber gripper on either my thumb or my index. I kind of like to take turns so that both of them alternate. If I have that on both fingers, I feel like I'm all thumbs. Right. I can't. <laughs> I don't have enough dexterity that way, mm -hmm. but 
having that gripper on just one of those fingers is enough tension that that makes it a little easier for the pulling side. So I've got my metal, nice, strong thimble on, on my, I prefer ring finger, but I try to make myself alternate between my <laughs> ring and my, my middle again, so that I'm not doing the same exact movement over and over and over again. Yes, yes. The more I can create diversity of movement, the less taxing that is on my body. So I'm pushing with my thimble and then I'm using the aid of my rubber gripper to pull through. And I'm also, as I pull something that I learned, uh, for my, my health of my shoulder is that I don't want to lift my hand up higher than my shoulder when I'm pulling. It's much better to reach forward and away, keeping my hand at shoulder height or lower when it's that intense, repetitive movement. So sometimes if I'm using a long thread, I'll actually pull away from myself and then catch the thread on my elbow and then pull my elbow away. Oh, all right. Hopefully the audio of that is translating to, um, to our listeners, but that it's helpful to not reach up overhead yeah. all the time. It's helpful to reach forward and around or to reach, catch the thread on my elbow and pull back towards so you. that mm-hmm. that right arm isn't going higher Mm-hmm. than my shoulder. And, and again, it's just, it's less frequent if I'm able to stack a lot of stitches mm-hmm. and then pull once in once every three inches instead of once every inch or every half inch. But you know, all of those choices are based on the thread that I like. And so the thread that I like yes. is DMC pearl cotton size number eight. Oh, okay. Eight. I, it, I love that thread. So much. I initially went to the craft store and I saw the beautiful colors in the DMC floss for embroidery. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'll make a quilt with that. And I did make a couple of quilts with that. And it was very frustrating because those six strands, invariably one of the strands will pop out more than the others. And then it just doesn't look right. And it right. also doesn't hold a knot very well. I was having trouble with my knot slipping open. Yeah. So yeah. The DMC pearl cotton is mercerized and all of the strands that make that thread are spun together in a way that they can't be pulled apart. And that makes it smoother to work with and also it holds a knot better. So I love that thread and I like that thickness and the way that it is is spun and wrapped around. I also... If I want something slightly thicker or if I just want a color that's different or if I want to be um, gentler on my pocketbook. The other thing that I really like is crochet yarn. So something, for example, like Aunt Lydia's, although I don't have as strong of feelings about the brand. So it could be the Michaels brand crochet thread. It could be the DMC brand crochet For me, it's about color when it comes to that. And that is also mercerized and slightly thicker. So it's a slightly more visible stitch. It's really inexpensive thread. Hmm. So affordable, especially if you use a coupon. So those two are my my hands down favorite things to Mm -hmm. use because of the color variation and the way that it's mercerized. And it's a nice 
strong thread. If you start cutting corners on thread and buying the cheap stuff or buying just mm-hmm. buying other brands that are prioritizing other virtues in their thread, like um, sometimes those threads get really thin and they'll snap, like they'll mm-hmm. break before I'm done using the thread. So, so, so that's why I like the DMC and the the crochet stuff is that it's strong and good colors and mercerized. Yeah. And, and cost effective because, mm-hmm. I, and this is a really good tip about the crochet yarn. Cause I didn't know about that. Um, yeah. And I, I, I really like the orophil threads and they've got a beautiful 12 weight thread, which probably would be good for that, but it, it's thinner. Oh, is it? I, have, I actually, I have a ton of thread like that from Sulky because I've won some awards and they've given <laughs> it to me as a prize. Cool. <laughs> so I have, oh, I have the most beautiful th- mm. colors in that 12 weight. Mm-hmm. And I try to use it when I can for embroidery things. And when I'm mending, if I'm mending something that's more delicate, mm. then I like that thinner thread. Oh, good. That's a good but use for, for it. for me... It's just not visible enough. Gotcha. And in order for the stitch to look right, there's something about matching your stitch length with the thickness of the thread. And I find in order for the 12 gauge to look right and not sloppy, I need to make my stitches smaller. Ah, okay. But other people, you know, go other ways. My dear friend, Zach Foster, who I so love the way that he hand quilts, he thinks that he, upon my advice, he bought some size eight and then later he gifted to gifted it to me because he said it was just too thick and he couldn't deal with it. <laughs> he wants his size 12. So, <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> very intimate decision process. Yes, yes. You know, if you buy some stuff that's the wrong diameter, hopefully you can find a friend who likes it. <laughs> right, right. But this is a good guide just for people who um, just want to try it. And I also want to say that um, for listeners that are used to doing fast and quick projects, that this hand quilting slows you down, makes you really like present with your project and think about it and um, you know, don't think about, I don't have time for this. Or if mm-hmm. a lot of people are just like, Oh, I don't have time for that. You know, I just, <laughs> you know, run it through and done. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe that's the lifestyle you have. Maybe you have little kids or whatever, but maybe you don't do a whole quilt of hand quilting and just put a little bit of it in there. But um, I just think well, it's something, something to try. other than a quilt, right? Yeah. Maybe you make, a purse or uh-huh. a placemat right. or make a jacket for yourself or some yeah. kind of clothing. Maybe you make a three foot by three foot baby quilt. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, don't start with a king size yeah. quilt for your bed. That's for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is a really good, and, and, and talking about the mending, I, I've definitely gotten into that more in the last six months, learning about it. I follow the hashtag, um, Visible mending. Uh, oh, I didn't. Not that one. I don't. I'm. Oh, going, I'm going to. Love flows last. Visible mending. No, the, uh, mend and make do. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I'm going to hashtag visible mending. But the things that I see on the, that feed is amazing. I yeah. am just blown away by this mending that um, these people do. And they make it so artistic. And to me, it's just like you just made a couture custom piece of clothing yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. It is that good. It's just so amazing. So that's why I'm really I've been following it. And <laughs> I learned <laughs> I learned about this little speed weave mini loom. <laughs> oh, and I love you know you put the little hooks and you weave the, the, the yarn or the thread through it and you swish them the other direction and they mm-hmm. create like this weave. So I've been on like this hunt for it. But man, they are expensive it's just oh. the going rate for those are in like the two to three hundred dollars and i'm just like for just a simple yeah for a little piece of round wood <laughs> and <laughs> a row of little metal hooks it's just crazy it's you know they did that with the quilters with the featherweight sewing machine you know now that's exorbitant mm-hmm. it's just the oh, supply yeah. and demand oh. i'm thinking maybe <laughs> you could use an embroidery hoop and some applique needles yeah. in, the, in between and make your own little <laughs> I know right I gotta get creative it. the high school art teacher in me and say oh don't we need shoe boxes to make a loom right right <laughs> yeah yeah how about your, your cottage cheese lid <laughs> there you go mm-hmm. get creative but yeah I, I, both of these things harken back to a similar mindset of quality over quantity yeah. as well and why do you need to make, be able to make a quilt in 10 hours that, you know, I, I don't know why you would need to make that. I think for me, just the quilting part of it, making something that's around three feet by three feet is probably just 20 hours of hand quilting. If I'm making something that's five feet by five feet, that would be potentially around 36 hours of hand quilting. And, you know, how much time have all of us spent watching Game of Thrones? Right. If a season of a show is 10 hours, yeah. think about how many seasons you're willing to watch. Right. And, and, and quilting is something that is, it's, it's very easy to watch TV and quilt at the same time. You don't need to be eyes glued to your work the whole time. I think that's, for me, the thing that's time consuming is knitting and crocheting. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to knit myself a shirt or something, that that's the long term just for me. I would never sell that <laughs> to anyone because right. it's too much time. But both of those art forms, I can knit and watch a show. I can quilt and watch a show. And then it becomes, well, yeah, I can marathon through a TV thing. My first quilt that I made, I distinctly remember that I was watching Fringe on Netflix mm-hmm. as I was hand quilting in September 2013. <laughs> and by the time I finished watching Fringe, I had a quilt. And it was great because it was this suspenseful TV show where I just always wanted to watch the next episode. <laughs> next episode. And, and then I was able to finish that quilt in a month. And yeah. it's, it's a good way to, to wrap your brain around the time that you're spending on the thing. I think when I'm mending, I'll consider to myself, is this a sitcom? 
Is this a drama being 30 minutes or an hour? Is this you know, a movie length mend? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, we're not talking about marathoning Game of Thrones when we're talking about mending. We're talking about, you know, two hours, four mm-hmm. hours, maybe a whole day for something that's really special. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can find that time, especially if we start unpacking where our time goes for the other things that we do. Sure. If I were to buy a brand new pair of pants, let's say, I need to first go to work and earn money. Then I need to think about where am I going to shop? Am I going to go to the mall or am I going to go online? And in both places, I have to hunt around a little bit and try things on at the mall or read the reviews on the store's website. And then I get it home and then I try it on with my other clothing And then most of the time I like it and I keep it, but plenty of times, especially if I bought it online and saved time with going to the store, then I have to (laughs) deal with turning it. And then because we're in this consumer culture where we don't have space for all of our stuff, Mm -hmm. sooner or later, everything that we add to our closet, we have to find something else to remove. And Mm -hmm. so we have to either follow that rule when we come home from the store or we have to have a huge purge where we see what sparks joy in our closet. And, <laughs> right. <everything. laughs> and that is a lot of time. And I'll wager that it's more time than watching TV for an hour or having a glass of wine with my friends in the evening and having everyone over for snacks and mending. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly know which way I would prefer to mm-hmm. spend my time. Yeah, so. Sure. It's a lot of just changing our thinking around the way that we're spending time Mm -hmm. because we have so many habits around consumer culture that we don't even, we're not even aware of the Mm -hmm. time into participating in that system. Mm -hmm. And once we do become aware of it and draw back from it a little bit, it's really shocking Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when we try to reintroduce ourselves, <laughs> I got a gift card for, as a Christmas present to the store, and I just, I like haven't been able to spend it yet. It's so frustrating <laughs> because I've been looking online, and now I have to return the things online, and I'm living that <laughs> right now. I'm in the nightmare of trying to spend money at a store. <laughs> yeah, very good. That's so. That's a really good. Um, way of looking at that and and really seeing where your time goes mm-hmm. uh, with that. So I'm looking forward to, you know, learning more about mending. And if anyone's interested um, uh, uh, about with that three-day mending, where is that retreat at, actually? The, at the it makery? is in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, okay. And the website is the makery, um, make, I E. Oh God, I can't spell. I I have a M A K E R I E. Yes. Okay. That's how it's spelled. I'll put it in my show (laughs) notes. I'll put a link to it uh, Mm -hmm. when you get when you get that, because this is not going to go up for a few weeks, so we'll have time um, to do that. But yeah, I'll I'll have that up there for anyone who wants to um, dive into that retreat. That sounds wonderful. Uh, One other thing, though, I I wanted to um, address before we moved on: Um, the batting type. Is there oh, any special batting? I like, I like warm and natural bat- batting from the warm company. And I used to say, 
that I didn't have a great reason for liking it. I mean, like my milliner's needles and my thread and my thimble, that is seriously researched, impressive. <laughs> you know, I feel very confident recommending that. And I would always uh-huh. say, well, I've only ever used warm and bat- natural batting and I can't complain, but <laughs> I don't know. And the reason I bought it was because I was looking at Joanne Fabrics and everything else seemed to have glue in it. It was mm. all this fusible, weird mm-hmm. chemical stuff. And especially because I'm hand quilting, I don't want a needle that's passing through all those chemicals on my skin getting absorbed through mm-hmm. you know, through my skin that way. So mm-hmm. number one, I like warm and natural because it has natural ingredients in it, like mm-hmm. cotton instead of glue. Right. But at, at QuiltCon this past year, I attended an amazing lecture about cotton and the history of cotton. And in that lecture, I learned that Warm and Natural is one of the unique brands that actually uses American-made cotton. Hmm. And so I feel great about buying American cotton. Yes. The guideline, cotton is actually a very controversial material, I mean, as are most materials. Mm-hmm. And if you want to feel good about things like mending, there's a documentary called The True Cost. And that documentary on Netflix will make you cry and be grateful for even the one time that you decided to mend something or buy less instead of more. Mm -hmm. And in there, they talk about the cotton industry and all of it's like cotton candy to bugs. And so there are a lot of chemicals used and In America, we have some stricter guidelines on how to apply those chemicals so that farmers aren't dying Mm. from the chemicals that they're using to make the normal cotton as opposed to organic cotton. And in other countries like India, they are making a lot of cotton there, but they don't have the strict human guidelines. Mm. And there's also a lot of problems that they highlight in that film around people buying the seeds and the equipment and the chemicals. And then at the end of the season, they owe a certain amount of money back because they got into debt to get the chemicals. And if it was a bad year, if for any reason their crops didn't grow it's completely devastating to that family mm. and their finances. And, and they highlight in their problems with suicide that the farmers are having wow. because, because they're, they had a bad year with their crops and there's no way to get out of that crippling debt that they have because of the chemicals. So um, yeah, cotton is complicated mm-hmm. as it has been. Certainly cotton, we think of America and we think of slavery mm-hmm. and the intensely complicated history that it had then, and it continues to be mm-hmm. complicated. I would say it's still in many ways better than polyester because that has all the microplastics that mm-hmm. are going to the ocean every time we wash them in our washing machine. Um, you know, like All of these materials are complicated. And even and, bamboo. People think uh-huh. that bamboo is so renewable and eco, and I found out that... The processing that goes along with making bamboo batting is, you know, they're reversing it. They're reversing the, all the ecological, you know, pros 
by wow. filling all the chemicals in the plants that processes the, the bamboo. That's interesting. <laughs> I imagine yeah. it's a lot like rayon where yes. it is a natural fiber, mm-hmm. but it's a heavily altered yes. natural yeah. fiber. And so they all have pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. Certainly one of the biggest things to keep in mind is if you're going to acquire some of those things, mm-hmm. try to make it last right? rather than throwing it out after a season. Mm-hmm. Like Try to see it as the valuable thing that someone struggled mm-hmm. to, to grow and to bring into the world. Right. And, Absolutely. and so anyways, I, I feel now remarkably good about my lifelong choice behind warm and natural batting. Great. <laughs> I like that it's from America Me where we too. have higher standards for, for the human yeah. side of that equation. Yep. And the batting that I get is needled batting. And traditionally that's needled into a scrim. And so part of that scrim is made from something synthetic and being needled the it's it's like it's being felted mm-hmm. it fuses the batting so it doesn't come apart and shift inside of the quilt mm-hmm. it also keeps it flat uh, now the warm company who did who makes warm and natural they have another line that they're making where even the scrim is made out of cotton. Mm. And so that's something new that I've personally been excited about buying, but haven't really, um, you know, because making quilts is slow. I haven't Mm -hmm. made very many quilts with Mm -hmm. it yet, but it seems to function in in a way that's just as good, but it is truly a hundred percent cotton. Okay. Versus having that scrim that is made from a different material. Right but certainly no glue involved. Yes. (laughs) Good. Very good. Well, um, you know what? I definitely want to have you back because there's just so much more to, to just find out from you because um, we didn't even get to talk about just the inspiration for your work of like the Japanese wabi-sabi. And you talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about the Korean, um, how do you say Mm -hmm. it? Jogato? 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 Um, Jogakbo. (laughs) Jogato. Yeah. Seminole patchwork. Yeah. Um, American knots and improvisation. So I I definitely, I want to have you back so that you can talk about those as well. Yeah, we can talk more about aesthetics. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But this was amazing. You you just... um, you bring a wealth of experience and knowledge and your passion exudes this mm-hmm. knowledge from you in a way that I can absorb it and get excited about it too. And then it's really coming, you know, to the surface on Instagram and everywhere with this mending, mm-hmm. the visible mending. I love how yeah. portable it is. Yeah, I'm portable. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't have to be then in your sewing room at home. You can go to a social gathering. You can be quilting on an airplane. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. be quilting in the waiting room. It, 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 you find more times where you could be quilting because the location is so freeing for where, right. where you can do the work. Yeah, absolutely. The, the location. And like you said, you just need needle and thread. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing, um, you know, hand quilting with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. This was really special talking oh, to you. Yeah, I was an honor. I really enjoyed having you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Make Undecorate podcast. You can find the show notes and the podcast episodes on my website at stephaniesochadesign.com. And I appreciate any ratings, reviews, and comments that you uh, would like to post and give me feedback on Instagram or wherever you are at. Okay, bye. Bye.